Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Locked away on an island just outside of New York, the woman thought about the events that had brought her here. They claimed she was a danger, a menace to public safety. But all she had done was make some peach ice cream. Was she really as dangerous as officials claimed she was? Stay tuned to hear all about that on The Reluctant Historian. I'm Liz Lawson, and this is our reluctant historian, Dakota Lawson. This is the podcast where I try to show my husband that history is actually cool. So, if you love history, or you absolutely hate it, this podcast is for you. We would like to begin by recognizing that we are recording on Treaty 6 territory and the homeland of the Métis Nation. We make this acknowledgement in recognition that we are settlers here on the land that belongs to the many different First Nations of Canada. So, Coda, guess is about today's topic. Okay, so she's... Locked away on an island? Yes. And because she made peach ice cream. That's yes. what I get from that. Yeah, so, you're right. So, first of all, I, I'm trying to think of how she got there. Did you say the time frame? No. Okay. This is the olden days. Okay. Who peach knows? Jokes, Maybe it was peach last ice week. cream. No, no. Peach ice cream was outlawed. <laughs> I remember reading that in a history book somewhere. And so she was locked away like a common criminal, but not a common criminal because they don't lock everyone on an island. And. She has to make a grand escape and, like, you know, she works out in there, like, just gets super buff. And the whole time that she's doing this, the song, millions of peaches, <laughs> peaches for me. I thought you were going to say, like, the Rocky theme song or something. No, but no, 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 no. Millions of peaches, peaches for free. Yeah. And uh, so she does that. She makes her grand escape. And then... It gets into sort of, have you ever seen Rambo or anything like that? Like, I'm familiar with the idea. The idea of just, like, massacring everyone, right? This is a revenge story, okay? Okay. She's going to go off on these people. And she's, you know, she's going to say, I'm going to kill these peaches. (laughs) (laughs) As she bitches, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As she puts on her sunglasses. And then just massacre guns. She goes, she's going to be like in the Matrix, I'm going to need guns. A lot of them, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if this is about any of that, ten <laughs> out of ten. Okay. <laughs> no, today's episode is about a woman named Mary Malone, or people might know her as Typhoid Mary. That sounds familiar. She's apparently a Marvel character in oh, the books. That might be why. Then, <laughs> yeah, I didn't look into it because this started getting long. I was going to talk about the actual Marvel character, but yeah. it got so long. her her name is what Mary Malone? Mary Malone Mary Malone Malone M A L L O N. She's Irish Malone 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 Ooh. probably. I'm home Malone. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all that's I got. That's the one. Yeah. That's the um, one. In jail Malone. I don't know. Okay. Um, Typhoid Mary. Adelbub. Yeah. yeah. He suggested it. Recently, or is it an old one? Uh, like I think, I think last summer he said. Oh, okay, it. cool. It's we're very timely then. <laughs> it's still timely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's your golden nugget? 
we just put in an offer on a house. I wasn't sure if you were going to say about that or not. Was that yours? Or... No. Oh, you have a different one? Oh, okay. I mean, so, yeah. should be. I mean, it should a be. Big we, deal we literally for both just of us. signed the documents, <laughs> put in the offer on the house. It's a brand new build. And, like, last week, we're like, what do we do? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not built yet. It's going to be done in the summer. Uh, so it's not on the realtor app or anything like that. So, uh, you know, no competition, I don't think at no. this point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's wild uh, that we, we are doing this. Uh, I also, uh, want to take a second to just talk about, uh, you know, last week I asked people to s- send in how many, how much their houses average price right. were. So we got in BC, which is a couple of provinces over from us. So we're, we're around 500,000 is yeah. kind of. Where our, yeah, between four and five hundred. Yeah, think. where our sweet spot is. Over in BC, we got a million dollars. Down in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, in the area where uh, Mr. Uh, John lives, mm-hmm. they're close to seven hundred thousand, I believe he mm-hmm. said. Okay, uh, and that's Australians. So it's fairly pricey. Yeah, probably like a million. Yeah, yeah, a million here. So, and then um, in polite society said in the Midwest. Uh, in the United States, it's around $325,000. Yeah. So then I so. said, we're going to move to the Midwest. And then I said, no, because teachers get paid like shit there. So yes. just kidding. Yes, exactly. And also the, you know. Trump. Not... Sorry, what? Well, <laughs> well, he's not president anymore, dear. <laughs> but free health, no free health care. Right, yeah. But something that worries me is I'd just be scared to, someone lives in the States, is like, are you just, are you just constantly in fear yes. of... Of just breaking your arm yes, or something? They are, yeah. Really? Um, so one, what has sort of tongue in cheek, but also like legitimately become part of their, uh, medical care is GoFundMe because people can't yeah. afford to get surgeries or treatment. And so they have to have GoFundMe. So that's crazy. Or else you just die. Yeah. They, so, uh, that's fucked up. So they're, they, they resort to GoFundMe while the, united states government refers to go fuck yourself that's right so what is your golden nugget my golden nugget is that i have spent the last week back in a face-to-face school and it has been delightful yeah i said i it kind of feels like i'm losing time because i have to transit 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 what i you have breaking. a stroke <laughs> i have to you have travel to dr- you have to drive from one <laughs> yeah. location to the next yeah so i feel like i'm kind of like losing that time and then yeah. i'm not getting it back and i feel like i'm a little bit behind but you know what it's worth it for the joy that i have for being with these kids again so yeah that's awesome yeah and also like dave my hernia hasn't yeah. been bothering me this week because <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know the hernia thing that was like <laughs> april last year so yeah that's uh she has a hernia we call it dave you it's know. a weird thing that we do yeah <laughs> uh he has been less painful this past week because i'm not like when you sit it's like 200 times the pressure that you would normally right. put on your body so yeah. right like he's sits he's on my diaphragm mm-hmm. so that's like extra pressure on my diaphragm so yeah. you know if, even if i'm not sitting for two or three hours out of the day yeah that's two or three hours of the day that dave isn't getting pain totally and i I just want to squash any like rumors or anything like that by just saying that yes dave is my boyfriend (laughs) okay like i don't want there to be it just get get out there i want you to hear from me that i do have a boyfriend and he is a hernia on my wife's chest gross so better than a dump on my chest (laughs) better than a dump on my chest (laughs) oh yeah well too bad for you that's what dave likes (laughs) awkward Mary Malone was born September 23, 1869, was more commonly known as Typhoid Mary. 
She was an Irish-born American cook who is believed to have infected 53 people with typhoid fever, three of whom died. Now, that might not seem like that big of a historical story. People get other people sick all the time. However, she is important to medical and social history for a variety of reasons. One being that she was one of the first people to be diagnosed as an asymptomatic carrier, and two, because she just didn't give a fuck about the people she was infecting. Oh, <laughs> that sounds familiar in the in in these times. Mm-hmm. So that might be a bit harsh, but we'll get into it on today's episode. Yeah, but you know what? I can relate. I mean, during these COVID times, I've been going around just coughing in people's mouths and then saying, fuck you. <laughs> that, that... Get your mask out of my face. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, we don't do that here on the Reluctant Historian, but... <laughs> Fuck, fuck the government. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Mary Malone. So I don't want to call her Typhoid Mary because she right. didn't like that we term. Could call also, her, like, it's just rude. We could call her Mary Stallone because she's going to go Rambo on this shit. Or just Mary. No, but like, okay, like I, Stallone. Here, you made a good joke. <laughs> no, no. Do you understand what I'm talking <laughs> about, though? Yeah, it's, it's funny, right? Because your whole thing was that she's Rambo, she's Rambo and Sylvester Stallone played Rambo. So Stallone and Malone rhyme. Mary Stallone. You know I what? Get it. You know what? Fuck you. <laughs> uh, your sister said that sometimes I miss out on your jokes and I don't laugh at them. But yeah. it's because I just I hear so many of them and it's awesome. That's true. It's like... um. What's the, it's like a, a James Gunn movie who he did Guardians of the Galaxy, you know, I'm on, on that level where it's like, uh, it's often been said um, by people that I listen to reviewing them that it's like, there's so many jokes mm. and a lot of them hit, but not everyone is going to hit the same, right? Yeah, that's what it is for me, living but, with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'll take it. So uh, she says, though, that I should get a laugh track because... I miss every joke. You miss some of my jokes. Some of your jokes. And they're, a lot of them are zingers that you miss. So. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Mary was born in Cookstown, Ireland. It's presumed that she was actually born with typhoid fever because her mother was infected during pregnancy. When she was 15, Mary emigrated from Ireland to the United States, where she lived with her aunt and uncle for a little bit and worked as a maid. However, she eventually moved on and became a cook for wealthy families. From 1900 to 1907, Mary worked as a cook in the New York City area for eight families, seven of whom contracted typhoid. What? Now, what is typhoid? Obviously, I have to give a little science here for you. Yeah, because I I have no idea. I just think of typhoons, which I'm assuming it is not. No, you're right. (laughs) Typhoid fever is an infectious disease that is caused by the Salmonella typhi bacteria. So this means that Salmonella from food poisoning and typhoid are the same species of bacteria, but they are different diseases. Kind of like how we have species of dog. We can have a Great Dane versus a Chihuahua. Typhoid starts with a low fever that increases daily and can reach as high as 104.9. Got a fever of 104.9. Got a fever of 104.9. It also causes headaches, weakness and fatigue, muscle aches, sweating, a dry cough, loss of appetite, weight loss and stomach pain, constipation, a rash, and a swollen stomach due to an enlarged liver or spleen. Try my new weight loss program. It's called typhoid. (laughs) Typhoid is spread by eating or drinking food or water that is contaminated with the feces of an infected person. (laughs) Did she shit on her peaches? (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Why are these peaches brown, miss? Just eat it, okay? Once ingested, the bacteria grow in the intestine, spleen, liver, gallbladder, bone marrow, and blood. It is the only known bacteria that infects and replicates within humans. It does not affect animals, and there are no animal reservoirs. 
Risk factors include limited access to clean drinking water and poor sanitation. And those who have not yet been exposed to the pathogen and then go on to ingest contaminated drinking water or food are most at risk for developing symptoms. So it can affect animals, so I can still continue to poop on my food and give it to them? That's true. Good. I was worried I was going to give them the typhoid. I've been doing this for years now. A typhoid vaccine can prevent about 40 to 90% of cases for the first two years after vaccination. Uh, But vaccinations do wane, which is why we have to get boosters. Do wane? They wane. Like, uh, the effectiveness of it decreases over time. Oh, I thought you were saying the name Dwayne. Really weird. Dwayne. (laughs) Do wane. Do wane. (laughs) However, in some cases, the vaccine may prevent infection for up to seven years. This is why those who are at high risk or people who are traveling to areas where the disease is common are recommended to get this vaccination. Other efforts to prevent the disease include providing clean drinking water, good sanitation, and washing one's hands. Every year, there are about 400 cases reported, with an estimated 6,000 people actually having typhoid. Without treatment, the risk of death is at about 20%. However, with treatment, which is antibiotics, it drops between 1% to 4%. So back to Mary. Well, there's something about Mary, so... (laughs) Something about Mary. She shits on her food. Mary worked as a cook in New York from 1900 to 1907, and during that time, seven of the eight families she worked for contracted typhoid. First, in 1900, she worked in a home in Mamoranek, don't know where that is, where within two weeks of her employment, the people in the house contracted typhoid fever. Then, in 1901, she moved to Manhattan, where the members of the family she worked for developed fevers and diarrhea, and the family laundress died. The family what? Laundress. The person who did their laundry. Laundress? Yeah. Why is it called that? I don't know. That's just what they're called. Why not laundry do her? It's a better term. You're right. (laughs) Very true. Yeah. Mary then moved on to work for a lawyer and left that house after seven of the eight people in the household became ill. Then, in June 1904, she was hired by a prosperous lawyer, Henry Gilsey. And again, within a week, the laundress was infected with typhoid, and soon, four of the seven servants were ill. This time, no members of Gilsey's family were infected because they lived separate from the servants. As it, as they should. <laughs> like, come on. An investigator of this outbreak concluded that it was the laundress who had caused the outbreak, but he failed to prove it. Immediately after the outbreak at the Gilsey house, uh, Mary left and moved to Tuxedo Park, where she was hired by a man named George Kessler. Again, two weeks later, the laundress in this household was infected and taken to St. Joseph's Regional Medical Center, where her case of typhoid was the first that that hospital had seen in a very long time. I think she's after these laundry doers. (laughs) I I did think it was interesting. I wonder, like, maybe because she was in such close contact, she would have been living in the same servant quarters with them. Right. Yeah. In August 1906, Mary took a position in Oyster Bay on Long Island with the family of a wealthy New York banker, Charles Henry Warren. Mary went along with the Warren family when they rented a house in Oyster Bay for the summer of 1906. Then, from August 27 to September 3rd, six of the 11 people in the family came down with typhoid fever. The disease at that time was unusual in Oyster Bay, according to three doctors who practiced medicine there. The landlord, realizing that it would now be impossible to rent a house with a reputation of typhoid, hired several independent experts to find the source of the infection. They took water samples from pipes, faucets, toilets, and the cesspool, all of which were negative for typhoid. This led to the conclusion that the family had not been infected by contaminated water, as was often the case with typhoid, but by contaminated food. Most of what the renter's staff prepared that summer would have been safe to eat because most of it was cooked at high temperatures. 
but not peach ice cream, which Mary was famous for making the most delicious version of. The secret is a chocolate drizzle. (laughs) (laughs) Mary was then hired by a new family in 1906 by Walter Bowen, whose family lived on Park Avenue. Their maid got sick on January 23rd, 1907. This was followed by the Warren family's daughter getting typhoid and dying. This now provided a link between the two families and helped to identify Mary as the source of the infections. Warren hired a man named George Soper to investigate the outbreak, who quickly realized that the outbreaks of typhoid hitting well-to-do families in New York was abnormal, as typhoid typically struck unsanitary environments. The rich and well-to-do families in New York didn't live in these types of conditions, because they had water and toilets, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Soper discovered that a lady Irish cook had been hired by many of the families, and she fit Mary's physical description. He was at first unable to locate her, because generally after an outbreak began, she would leave without giving a forwarding address. Luckily, Soper found out about an active outbreak in a penthouse on Park Avenue and discovered that Mary was the cook here. That was the Bowen family. When Soper first met Mary, he found her in the kitchen of the Bowens and accused her of spreading the disease. Can you imagine there's something about Mary, but this plot? (laughs) Instead of like being a wacky comedy with Ben Stiller and Cameron Cameron Diaz, Diaz, it's, uh, you know, an investigator trying to figure out why this poop disease (laughs) is getting into these rich families. There's something about Mary. <laughs> and in that scene where instead, instead no. of it, it's gel, it's no. poop instead. <laughs> I knew that's exactly yeah. where you were going. Well, that's the, the classic scene, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though Soper himself recollected his behavior as diplomatic as possible, his confrontation infuriated Mary and she threatened him with a carving fork. And she said, they're after me lucky peaches. <laughs> When Mary refused to give samples to prove she was the source of the infection, Soper decided to compile a five-year history of her employment, doing what epidemiologists today would call contact tracing. Is this why we know all this backstory of yep. where she was? Okay, because yep. I was like, I was thinking about this while you're reading it. I'm like, how the hell did they know? Would it <laughs> Mary be like, yeah, I killed this laundry doer and this laundry doer. Don't forget that laundry doer. He found eight former employers, and seven of those had experienced typhoid outbreaks while Mary was working for them, and one had actually given her a bonus when Mary stayed late to nurse the sick people. Then Soper found out where Mary's boyfriend lived, and he arranged a new meeting there. He took with him a man named Dr. Raymond Hopper in an attempt to persuade Mary to give them samples of urine and stool for analysis. Could you imagine just some dude and a doctor showing up on your doorstep and being like, Give me your poop! (laughs) Yeah, it happens to me once a year. (laughs) Again, Mary refused to cooperate, believing that typhoid was everywhere and that the outbreaks that had happened were because of contaminated food and water. Which, she wasn't wrong, she was just confused about who had done the contaminating. (laughs) Yeah. At the time, the concept of healthy carriers, or asymptomatic carriers as we use in the COVID pandemic, was unknown even to healthcare workers at the time. Soper published his findings on June 15, 1907, in the Journal of the American Medical Association, writing, It was found that the family changed cooks on August 4th. This was about three weeks before the typhoid epidemic broke out. The new cook, Milan, remained with the family only a short time and left about three weeks after the outbreak occurred. Milan was described as an Irish woman, about 40 years of age, tall, heavy, and single. She seemed to be in perfect health. Soper then notified the New York City Health Department, whose investigators realized Mary was a typhoid carrier. 
under sections 1,169 and 1,170 of the Greater New York Charter, Mary was arrested as a public health threat. She was forced into an ambulance by five policemen and a woman named Dr. Josephine Baker, who at some point had to sit on Mary to restrain her. Oh my. Mary was then transported to Willard Parker Hospital, where she was again restrained and forced to give samples. (laughs) Shit into this cup. No, I don't want it. You're gonna shit into this cup. For four days, she was not allowed to get up and use the bathroom on her own. Oh. (laughs) Her results showed that she carried a massive amount of typhoid bacteria within her. These results were found in her stool, indicating that the infection center was her gallbladder. Under questioning, Mary admitted that she almost never washed her hands. That's what you, what I look for in a cook, <laughs> you know, so I, someone who just can give me diseases, you know? However, this wasn't unusual at the time, as the germ theory of disease was not fully accepted. Germs are a myth, okay? That's what it was, yeah. (laughs) Many scientists, doctors, and regular people didn't think that diseases were spread by microorganisms known as germs or bacteria. (laughs) Like you said, it's a myth. Yeah. Upon seeing these infection levels, Mary was sentenced to quarantine on North Brother Island, a small island located on the East River between the Bronx and Rikers Island. While quarantined, she was required to give stool and urine samples three times a week. Authorities also suggested removing her gallbladder, but she refused because she did not believe that she carried the disease. And at the time, gallbladder removal was dangerous, and many people had died from that procedure. Mary was also unwilling to stop working as a cook because it was a job that earned her more money than any other. And she didn't have a home of her own, so she was always on the verge of poverty. After Soper published his article in the Journal of American Medical, Mary attracted extensive media attention and received the nickname Typhoid Mary. She was even referred to as Typhoid Mary in a textbook that taught students about typhoid fever. She was depicted in the news as a heartless cereal poisoner flipping pancakes full of germs. It didn't matter that about a thousand New Yorkers got typhoid every year. Most of those cases affected the poor people with bad water supplies. The few dozen people that Mary had infected were the rich. Mm. So they cared now. Well, yeah, that's the world then. That's the world now. Mm-hmm. What, sorry, what's the time period on this again? Like early 1900s. I knew it was in yesteryear. (laughs) Soper visited Mary in quarantine, telling her that he would write a book about her and give her part of the royalties. She angrily rejected this proposal and locked herself in the bathroom until he left. She hated the nickname and wrote in a letter to her lawyers, I wonder how the said Dr. William H. Park would like to be insulted and put in the journal and call him or his wife Typhoid William Park. And (laughs) she just makes up a really mean insult. And what was his name? William Park. <laughs> what, what if he would like to put in a journal and be called William Cuxalot or <laughs> something like that? That's the one. So Mary was forcibly quarantined and not all medical experts supported this decision. Some argued that she just needed to be taught how to carefully treat her condition and ensure that she would not transmit typhoid to others. I've got a place for her. It's called Jurassic Park. <laughs> They considered isolation to be unnecessary and overly strict punishment, which, I mean, I kind of agree with. It's a tricky thing. I think about the leper colonies and how we still quarantine people with communicable diseases like Ebola. The leprechaun colonies? Leper Because she's Irish? Leper. Because they're after her lucky charms? But I also think about... Peaches? But I also think about people living with HIV or other diseases and how we don't quarantine them. We expect Which them- we should. Jesus. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. 
We expect them to manage what they have and not pass it on to others. But I guess since Mary didn't believe that she was a carrier and wouldn't take steps to prohibit passing it on, maybe then quarantining her is an option. So like at today, people can be charged with battery and assault if they have sex with someone and don't disclose that they have HIV. Maybe that's what they needed to do. It's hard to know. When do the rights of the community outweigh the rights of the individual? And that's something that we continue to see played out in real time during this COVID pandemic. Absolutely. Uh, people don't give a fuck. And we should uh, send them to Jurassic Park. See how they fare against the Brontosaurus. The Brontosaurus. I don't know. Is that one of the bad ones? No, they're the good ones. They eat plants. Oh, okay. The bad example then. T-Rex. Mm. I, I should Fuck, I should have said T-Rex or Velociraptor. That's right. No, the Velociraptors are good. They're so smart. Are Clever they? girl. What? What? Oh, clever girl. <laughs> Who says that? Is that the old man? No, not the old man. The like the weird safari dude who's like super pumped about like hunting. Oh, is he the, the guy with the cowboy hat? The main guy? No, that's the archaeologist. The clever girl is I don't know. He's he wears a white safari suit. Yeah, he's he's the, he's the old guy. He's the no. guy that makes Jurassic Park. What? There's a third guy. There's a, a third, third guy. white man in this movie. There's a lot of them. <laughs> what so, the fuck are you talking about? He's not Samuel L. Jackson. Do you remember there? Samuel in- L. Jackson is in Jurassic Park. So do you remember they're what? like <laughs> the Velociraptors get out? Yeah. And Samuel Jackson oh, are, and the white guy are like, we need to find them. First of all, I don't think Samuel L. Jackson's in Jurassic Park. Okay. Pause. <laughs> Is Samuel L. Jackson in Jurassic Park? He plays Ray Arnold. Boom. Holy, bitch. Sh- holy shit. Okay. So I'm I told you I love that movie. I was thinking you were thinking Deep Blue Sea or no. something like that, where Let he falls into the shark. Okay. So the the Velociraptors, you know, the fence goes down. The Velociraptors yeah. get out. The Samuel L. Jackson and this white man are like, shit, we got to find them. So they like break up and and they're like hunting the Velociraptors. And um, he he the white guy makes it back to the um like the breaker box okay and he's like trying to fix it and he gets spooked because there's an it, arm on his shoulder and he's like okay. oh and he's like sees it's a it's a black hand is it a bigger guy no he's not a bigger guy that's <sighs> that's newman yeah yeah that's what i was he thinking gets eaten by the little <laughs> dinosaurs that spit fuck i have no idea anyways so he's like oh man you scared me i thought it was a raptor and then he moves back and it's just his arm and he's like bah! <laughs> and then so he's like in the jungle like trying to get back and he's like oh yes i've caught her and he thinks that he hunted the velociraptor and then he looks to the side and she's right there and he's like well i'm gonna get eaten now and he's like clever girl and then it's, oh. <laughs> what a fucking good movie we should watch jurassic park <laughs> so that was a weird tangent that yeah, we just went on that's that's fine that's what the audience is going to expect yes so regardless that's the guy who says clever girl Okay. I will Google him afterwards. Okay, perfect. Okay, back to Mary. Typhoid Mary. Yeah. We don't call her that. Well, she, she kind of sucks, so I'm going to call her Typhoid Mary. I have mixed feelings about her. We'll really? talk about it at the end. <sighs> okay. She suffered a nervous breakdown after her arrest and forcible transportation to the hospital. In 1909, she tried to sue the New York Health Department, but her complaint was denied and her case was closed by the New York Supreme Court. In a letter to her lawyer, she complained that she was being treated like a guinea pig. As I said before, she was forced to give samples three times a week, but she was also not allowed to see an eye doctor, despite her eyelid being paralyzed. And her medical treatment was hectic. She was given urotropin, which is a medicine used to treat urinary tract infections, in three-month courses for a year that threatened to destroy her kidneys. 
That was later changed to brewer's yeast and another drug called hexamethylamineminin <laughs> in, in increasing dosages. She was also first told that she had typhoid in her intestinal tract, then in her bowel muscles, then in her gallbladder. I'm guessing it was so up in the air in terms of treatment and diagnoses for two reasons. One, science is constantly evolving as we learn more and study more data, which is something that people right now seem to be forgetting. <laughs> it's based on hypotheses and the careful understanding of experiments. So my guess is that her doctors had some hypotheses about where the infection was, uh, and they changed as they began to learn more about her condition. And then two, this was early 1900s. Medicine was just coming out of the age of bloodletting and the humors, which is a little tongue-in-cheek, but not by much. <laughs> Regardless, her treatment would have been very trying on her. Mary herself never believed that she was a carrier of typhoid. It's a, it's a myth. I don't have it. She basically... With the help of a friend, she sent several samples back to an independent lab in New York, and all of them tested negative for typhoid. Okay. And in fact, on North Brother Island, almost one quarter of all of her samples from March 1907 through 1909 were also negative. So what that tells me is that it's possible that she sent a sample that just so happened to be negative. Because mm. some of hers came up negative anyways. Right. In 1909, she wrote to a reporter saying, I have never had typhoid in my life and I've always been healthy. Why should I be banished like a leper and compelled to live in solitary confinement with only a dog for a companion? Well, after two years and 11 months of Mary's quarantine, the New York State Commissioner of Health decided that disease carriers should no longer be kept in isolation and that Mary could be freed if she agreed to stop working as a cook and take reasonable steps to avoid transmitting typhoid to others. Please, just... Just, just wash your hands, please. <laughs> no! Mary agreed and said that she would give assurance by affidavit that she would, upon her release, take such hygienic precautions as would protect those with whom she came in contact from infection. And with that, she was released and returned to the mainland. Upon her release, Mary found work as a laundress. Oh, the laundry doer killer becomes the laundry doer. Which paid less than cooking, $20 a month instead of $50 a month. At some point, she wounded her arm and the wound became infected, meaning that she could not work at all for six months. After several unsuccessful years, she started cooking again. She used fake names like Breshoff and Brown and took jobs as a cook against the explicit instructions of health authorities. No agencies that hired servants for upscale families would offer her employment, so for the next five years, she worked in the mass sector. She worked in a number of kitchens, in restaurants, hotels, and a spa center. And almost everywhere she worked were outbreaks of typhoid. However, she changed jobs so frequently that Soper was unable to find her. Hmm. In 1905, Mary started working at Sloan Hospital for women. Soon, 25 people were infected and two died. The head obstetrician called Soper and asked him to help in the investigation. And Soper was like, hey, I know this lady. <laughs> Soper soon identified Mary from the servant's verbal descriptions and also by her handwriting. Mary again fled, but the police were able to find and arrest her when she took food to a friend on Long Island. Mary was then returned to quarantine on North Brother Island. So while I think it is shady about what Mary was doing, I also wonder about the effects of poverty and how that played into her decision to become a cook again. Society needs to have systems in place to support vulnerable people, and I know that for sure New York at the turn of the century did not have these things, and neither does society today. For true. Not much is known about Mary's life during the second quarantine. She remained on North Brother Island for more than 23 years. 
The authorities gave her a private one-story cottage, and as of 1918, she was allowed to take day trips to the mainland. In 1925, a doctor came to the island for an internship, and she hired Mary as a technician in her lab. Mary washed bottles, did recordings, and prepared glasses for pathologists, which I think must have been a welcome change uh, to her routine, because this was before video games and phones and social media, Mm -hmm. and she wasn't allowed to see anybody when she was there. Oh, gosh. Yeah. In the news, Mary was at first vilified, seen as a menace to public health. However, the articles later shifted in their stance on her. Once, they saw her as fully to blame, but they soon took the view that she was unaware that she was carrying anything, and they instead blamed the germs that she had, and that she had no control over them, and those were to blame. The newspapers also claimed that Mary was barred from using the telephone to contact anybody except the surgeons treating her and her guards. Stories that once celebrated the public health department and legal system eventually became sympathetic to Mary and the events she allegedly encountered. Public health officials claimed the opposite, stating that she was treated to their best ability, but in return refused to comply with the request of the health officials. Mary spent the rest of her life in quarantine on North Brother Island, where she was quite active up until the point that she suffered a stroke in 1932, after which she was confined to the hospital there. She never recovered and half of her body remained paralyzed. On November 11th, 1938, she died of pneumonia at age 69. Rude. Only nine people attended her funeral. Damn. And they all got typhoid. Research has led to an estimate that Mary contaminated at least 122 people, including five dead. However, other sources attribute at least three deaths to her, but because of her refusal to cooperate with the health officials, the exact number is not known. Some have estimated the contact with her may have caused as many as 50 deaths. Mary is also not a unique case. Other healthy typhoid carriers around the same time were also identified. However, Mary was the only one of these people to be imprisoned. And some of them, too, had broken their promises to not work with food. So I wonder, was it due to the fact that she was a poor immigrant woman? Because the other people were men. Oh, of course. I'm not sure, but I really would like to do some more deep dives into that thought train. And the ethical question of her arrest and forced quarantine still lingers. Was there justification for arresting her and isolating her from the world? The answer is complex and still being argued to this day. Historians frequently bring up the argument of Mary knowing she was infecting her clients with typhoid based on the frequency of the disease being present after her departure. They also cite the lack of antibiotics to help those who did get infected and that some people who came in contact with her died. This argument potentially sees Mary as a murderer if she knew that she was the carrier of the disease. But on the other hand, Mary said she did not know that she had the bacteria, and therefore she did not deserve to be arrested. At the time, there was no knowledge of asymptomatic carriers, and Mary was believed to have said she didn't feel sick, didn't look sick, or have any sort of visible sickness. Mary was the first individual who was found to be an asymptomatic carrier of the typhoid bacterium, and her case helped officially identify other people who carried diseases that were dormant in their bodies based on the information that they learned from Mary's case. It created a shift in emphasis around the understanding of personhood and social responsibility that we are still being played out today. So, Dakota, what do you think? Well, the ethics on this one is are tough. I'm trying to think as you were talking. You know, did she actually know that she had it, but at the time, asymptomatic, like she was asymptomatic, so like you know not trusting the people that were telling her she had it well especially when and, they like sat on her yeah. and forced her to give them stool like why samples. would you trust those people and then she also like took her own samples and sent them in mm-hmm. you know whatever and came back negative supposedly so like 
there's that. that but, but at the same time, she also wasn't being cooperative mm-hmm. and she wasn't taking the precautions to, you know, be clean. And, and I know she, like, after her first, first quarantine, she eventually went back to cl- being a cook. And, like, that's shitty that she did that. But at the same time, on the flip of that coin, there's, like, the poverty that you were talking mm-hmm. about is, like, that she couldn't make her way in the world. Mm -hmm. you know properly so maybe that was kind of something she had to do Mm -hmm. so that's uh, i can see why it's up for debate Mm -hmm. it's a a hard that is yeah yeah when i first heard the story i was like oh man this woman like she should have been sent to quarantine but then as i started doing more research Mm -hmm. i was like yeah like okay i don't necessarily agree with her being so ornery yeah but also again poverty plays into that right and she was an immigrant from ireland they Mm -hmm. the the people there discriminated against them at that time so having the popo come to her house and being like give me your stool she would be like fuck am i getting like deported back to ireland like it would have been of course she was gonna be uncooperative it's yeah it's a it's a really i think thought-provoking issue it is it is for sure and uh this is just another question i have which isn't necessarily super related so this the way i'm leading into this question sounds like it's gonna be more thought-provoking than it is the marvel thing that there's a a hero called Typhoid Mary. I don't know Mary. if she's a hero or a bad guy, but there's a character called Typhoid Mary. That's so interesting. I'm just like, is this just, uh, well, if, if it is a superhero, which doesn't sound like it is, let's say it's, if it's a villain, they just throw peaches that are covered in poop at the at the hero. That's probably what they do. <laughs> like, I'd be super fascinated about this uh, this this hero. But uh, yeah, I mean, overall, it was it was interesting. I really liked your lead into what this was because I'm like that you know trapped on an island by yourself for for uh slinging peaches <laughs> peach ice cream that's that sounds crazy right and also i could fuck with some peach ice cream yeah know? okay sounds kind of good we should actually. look at some look <laughs> yeah. for some for you yeah so no it was good uh i would give this eight poopy peaches <gasps> out of ten wow an eight you were, but you were very quiet. It was is because you were listening. You were I was very engaged. I was listening. Yeah. I was actually, I was, I was pretty engaged. I, uh, uh, yeah, I just thought it was an interesting tale, and I also think it's applicable, oddly enough, applicable to today. Oddly enough, <laughs> yes. You know that she was so, like, no freedom or whatever. It seemed mm-hmm. like she, she didn't say that directly, but it was like, uh, you know, it seemed very similar to the yeah. nutheads we have today yeah. and i mean i might say something that might be a little bit off top off brand for us but like it is an important conversation to have how much freedom should we be giving up to protect society mm-hmm. so i think not that i agree with anything that those nut jobs are doing right now but i think the question is important and we do need to be thinking about it it's just right. their messaging has been co-opted by nazis yes so yes therefore we don't like it. Yeah. But, yeah, I think there does need to be a line walked. How much rights... How? What are the rights of the individual compared to what are the rights of the community? Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely a conversation that uh, maybe isn't for us to go into right now, but it is definitely a, a bigger topic of conversation. Yeah. Well, that's all we have for this week. We'd like to thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to hang out with us. If you enjoyed listening to what we had to say, please download our podcast from wherever you get your podcasts, 
leave a review or tell your friends about us because indie podcasts really do grow through word of mouth if you want to stay in contact uh, or see behind the scenes action you can follow us on instagram at the reluctant historian or on facebook under the reluctant historian podcast i don't think this is irish anymore know, like, what are you doing <laughs> Uh, hold on, I gotta get into character. They're after me lucky charms. They're after me lucky charms. Or leave us a tip on buymeacoffee.com <laughs> slash the historian. You can also shoot us an email with future show ideas or corrections you may have noted to the reluctant historian at gmail.com. I'm not great at accents, so I did my best. Now it's your line. So we'll see you next week. Same time, same place. I also pictured this as like sort of a Hollywood movie thing. So Mm. at the end at the funeral, I just picture Soper being like, you won't be hurting anyone anymore. And then it ends credits. Oscar goes to Soper. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Hey everybody. I'm Eric Erickson, host of the open highway. You know, I've had some incredible adventures in my life, and along the way, I learned a little bit about everything, which, to be honest with you, is just enough to get me into trouble. But I bring that with me when I sit down with guests from the worlds of politics, news, science, current events, entertainment, and more. The Open Highway with Eric Erickson. Join me on The Open Highway, and let's have a conversation. Find it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.